today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. This is a, a series that we've done a few times now on the program uh, with great response to it because it's basically talking about something that every one of us are going to have to go through, and that's end of life. Uh, either us at this present time or somebody that we know and love. We may be caregivers. We may actually be the ones that are being cared for in situations like this. So we want to have a, a frank discussion, an open discussion about this. Uh, an awful lot of the time, of course, people just don't want to bring this up. But uh, as uh, my mom said when she was in the hospice, uh, nobody's getting out of here alive. So let's talk about this. And uh, and that's what brought us all to the table in that particular situation. Uh, our good friend Claire Freeman uh, from Bob Kemp Hospice is here. Good to see you again, Claire. Thanks for having me. And Amelia Kajani, uh, who is a clinical nurse up at the Bob Kemp Hospice. Nice of you to come in here today. Thank you for having me today. That, let's talk a little bit, Claire, about exactly end-of-life care. And I, I know that that, as I say, kind of sh- gives people shudders from time to time. Uh, and it's not just hospice care, because it may well start at home, sh- wouldn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, Gord Downey was a, an excellent example of living really well when you're palliative. He was palliative, living his life, getting the kind of support that he needed, and also talking to people about legacy and, and moving forward. So absolutely, you can be palliative for years because you have a life-limiting illness, and you can be cared for with some modifications at home, um, and there's some education that you need to do. But definitely, as uh, the illness progresses, you'll need some more intensive support. There's a lot more pain symptom management control that you need to do. So there'll be a little bit more services, but your family can certainly do all of those things. But there are times where you'll need a little bit more support and you might need hospice residential care. I'm I'm glad you brought Gord Downey up as an example of this because, I mean, from the time he was diagnosed, and the diagnosis was quite blunt right from the beginning, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that this was going to be fatal. Uh, he didn't sit around and just wait for the end. I mean, he probably made more of a contribution in the last year or so of his life than, than others would have been in a whole entire lifetime. Absolutely. And he reminded us that we want to live every single moment that we can. And and uh, he, he was straightforward that he was going to die. And I think he did a lot for conversations about end of life. And I think we need to continue those conversations and, and quite frankly, have them before we're ill even. So how do you want to live every single day of your life the best you can? And when you know that you might die and some of us don't get um warning that we're going to die but basically you want to live every moment um like it's your last and in the best way you can amelia how do you prepare a family for something like this when that diagnosis happens Uh, as we mentioned it's not as if oh uh, by the way uh, there's a there's an end date here this is this is going to be fatal uh there's a hospice bed for you right away. That doesn't happen uh, for, for no. practical reasons. So the family has to get involved, don't they? That's right. And it's important to note that when a pa- person is labeled palliative, um, many equate that to end of life only. But the process starts usually at the time of diagnosis. How can we support them throughout their stage, throughout their journey with symptom management, involving the right healthcare team, sometimes volunteers, It takes a whole crew uh, to support these patients throughout their journey. Families don't know where to turn, though, oftentimes. Absolutely not. And uh, and that's one of the things, you know, uh, our mill is on a, an outreach team here in, in Hamilton. And certainly what we're trying to do is to get people the information they need. And, and just imagine, you know, if you went into the physician tomorrow and they said y- there's no cure. Um, many of us, I've had that o- that experience with a family member of mine, I remember hearing those words and, and was just gobsmacked. Didn't know what to do, didn't know where to turn, um, didn't know anything. And, and again, we had to go find that information. And, and I think that that's why we have to have more conversations about hospice palliative care so people know exactly where to go. 
are, are we getting more in, informed about this? I mean, when you and I started talking about this, I mean, uh, people said, what's, what's a hospice? I mean, I, I think it's, is it now generally accepted as part of the healthcare continuum as, as, as at that last stage? I think so. I think there's lots more to do for sure, but I definitely, we get more calls the more we talk, um, the more we put out the information. And then again, uh, what Armilla is doing out there is uh, working with the outreach team to again, to sort of integrate. We've got great home and services care um, in Hamilton that are also doing this work when, when it, but it's still got, it's gobsmacking when you hear those words. Family obviously has to start rallying and, and, and I, I guess in some cases they can't do that I mean it depends on who's available etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, but but this is where you have to I guess develop a plan isn't it and say this is what we need to do uh, okay you do this uh, sister you do this brother you do this in other words set up a, a, like a schedule and, a, and a, I guess basically a strategy yeah, they absolutely need support throughout their journey. Um, usually, initially, they need less support as they may deteriorate. They need more support. Um, we have a team of nurses, phys- palliative physicians, um, clinical nurse specialists who all work together. We also have psychosocial bereavement support, uh, supporting patients and families spiritually um, or you know um, psychosocially throughout their journey. Um, it's basically providing holistic care um, throughout their entire journey. And, and obviously those support services are going to be a, a key part of this because you're basically a family members, uh, unless you've got somebody who's in the healthcare profession, are, are basically going to say, well, wh- what do I do? Who do I talk to? How do you do this? How do you deal with this end of things? Mm-hmm. And that's that takes a lot of advocating on the nurse's part, on the clinical nurse specialist's part. Um, a lot of times, as you said, families and patients don't know what's out there, and it's all about, you know, letting them know what's out there, but also being respectful that they may not be ready to approach this service at this time, and so re-looking into that when they may be ready in the future. How do you do that assessment to determine exactly what kind of treatment and what kind of plan needs to be in place? So, uh, I mean, if we're looking at symptom management uh, and, you know, it's all about educating patients, families, what they may need, what we suggest at the time. Um, but it's also a, a, it's a, a non-spoken vibe that we get from patients and families. Um, and I always say no textbook can prepare you for that. It's all about seeing where the patients and families are at in terms of their journey, where they are in terms of their acceptance. A lot of times we start the conversation with, you know, what is your understanding of all of this? And do you have any questions for me at this point in time? How can we help you? Um, were you hoping for me to look into something um, in terms of anything, any support, any questions? How could we assist you at this point in time? You just used a very important word there, acceptance. Uh, that doesn't always happen. No. Uh, it may with some family members. Sometimes it's the individual who's, is, uh, you know, affected by the disease or by the, the whatever the situation, the, their particular environment is, is not accepting of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you deal with something like that? Do you back off? Do you try to work no, with it? No, it's all about holding their hand as much as they would like it to be helped. Um, you know, oftentimes it's the the first meeting is just about introducing yourself, seeing where they're at, and then we continue. We, you know, revisit the patient and family, see where they're at. It's never just, okay, see you later. It's always just, I'm here y- along the way to support you, um, and we're in this together. 
So you've got a presence, but you're certainly not forcing the program on anybody. No, no. We, they're able to reach out to us um, when they need us. Um, we're in the background as, as much as they want us to be involved, really. And I think for me, I think, you know, that whole idea when people think if they accept it means there's no hope left. And I think that's one of the things that we really try to help people understand is accepting that that this illness will progress and end your life earlier doesn't mean you stop living. And I think that's a big um, myth. And, and I think that that's what people fear. And we live in a culture that says everything can be cured. And you go on Google and, you know, y- your doctor's going to be wrong. And somehow there's this really far, far, far treatment. And if I get that, then somehow I'll, I'll be able to live or somehow I didn't wish hard enough. I didn't pray hard enough. And sometimes, you know, illness is illness. And, um, you know, I recently had a friend who passed away. And, and the, one of the last things she said to me, I just wish my body would cooperate with my mind. Um, I don't want to go. And um, and so there is a process. And, and I think, again, that's what we want to talk about. We will all be there someday. How it happens for us, whether it's a palliative illness or you know even a car accident, we will all meet that end. And we, we really need to have that conversation. So people are a little bit more ready for that conversation. And it doesn't mean they failed. And you used the example of Gord Downey a few minutes ago. I mean, John McCain comes to mind, too, somebody that had a fatal diagnosis. Uh, and, and again, still played a major role, not just in the U.S. political scene, but but obviously as an inspiration to so many other people. And and I, I know that they're going to say, well, come on, those guys are you know high profile figures; they're heroes. Uh, it's it's not that; it's a, it's the attitude, isn't it? It really do. It has a lot to do with attitude and and sort of understanding. Um, and again, ex- uh, the idea that they understood that we all will end, and they both understood that that they had opportunities between now and then to live as much as they could in that that time frame um, and then be able to say goodbye the way they wanted to say goodbye to their loved ones, be able to um, even plan their funeral the way they want to. I think that you do a lot to help your loved ones who are who are going to be here after if we can if you can accept in a lot of ways that you're going to end because then everybody will have said everything they needed to say that you will have it planned there'll be no questions left unsaid and it helps your family grieve after if you plan it well how important is it to talk about it i think it's super what do you think amila i think it's very important um but you know, no two persons are the same. We have to be respectful that everybody's journey is different. Some people are quite comfortable discussing it. Some people are not. Um, And we just have to be respectful um, when they are ready. And if they are ready, then we are here to support them. Do you, do you talk around it? I mean, th- I guess the first step in, in getting that conversation about acceptance is to have a conversation, period. Uh, and it may not be about that, but at least it's creating a bond. Right. And so usually when patients are referred to us, um, they, you know, are aware of the situation being palliative. Um, and so they are aware that they have a terminal illness. They may or may not know their prognosis. Um, and it's all about how comfortable they are on retouching that. Um, it, the conversation is usually started at the hospital, and then we do, you know, touch base ongoing to see what their wishes are. And that's all part of advanced care planning. 
you, you, let's talk about comfort for a second here and pain management, which could be a factor in this situation. Obviously, at the hospice, that's looked after by the incredible staff that are there, and they do it's just a marvelous job, of course, with, with all of the, the, the residents in the hospice. But the home care, if it's still happening, a family responsibility, uh, again, you're, you're talking about people that are out of their comfort level. How do you instruct them? How do you help them? So um, we do have home visiting nurses, and you, they, they're getting services through the local health integration network. Um, it's a whole team. We have the family physicians on board. Um, the palliative care outreach team has palliative physicians, um, uh, clinical nurse specialists, nurse practitioners, psychosocial support. Um, so it's all about advocating, assessing, intervening, seeing what the needs are at the time. Families, um, you know, come from various backgrounds, various um, needs. And so depending on where they're at with what, how much information they need, um, the home care nurses do support along with our consultations. For those that don't have big families and don't have that that so, so that safety net of guess of family, how do you, how do you handle a situation like that? We already know that there are staffing shortages in just about every facet of healthcare, so it's it's not as if there's a, a, a squad of people that can say, "Don't worry, we can do this." It, you really have to to work with what you've got, don't you? Right, and we do come across um, you know patients that uh, have very limit limited to no support. Um, and at that point, usually, you know, they're managing as long as possible in the home. But we do then consider hospice admissions, um, sometimes earlier for these kind of patients because we do look at everything. Um, the goal is always to prevent an emergency visit if we can. Um, and it takes a whole crew of care coordinators, discharge planners, social workers to work with each unique patient and seeing what their needs are. You talk about the, the net that you create here. The family physician must play a, a big role in this or any of the physicians, I guess, that were involved in the care of the individual. Absolutely, um, in, and it's one of the things that we want to engage more family physicians around um, staying engaged with, with uh, their patients and supporting them right to end of life. Um, it is difficult for some family physicians, but that is sort of one of the goals that we're all working with um, because sometimes when you're diagnosed with an illness, you'll have a lot of specialists involved in your life for a long period of time. So, you know, your family physician's getting the reports, but they're not as engaged. So that's one of the areas um, that we all want to move forward with is is continuing to engage the family physicians alongside these uh, palliative care um, specialists. What about for the, those that are having trouble dealing with this? I mean, are, are there support services available for them? Absolutely, and that's where the psycho-spiritual social comes in. Um, certainly, we have uh, conversations with folks as well. Um, we're actually hosting an event uh, talking about end life wishes uh, next week on October 24th at South Coat 33 um, up in Ancaster um, to help people with those conversations as well. And um, you know, and even tonight, uh, McMaster 100% uh, Project is doing an end project movie to help people. To be again have conversations and and to be able to think more about this stuff. There are supports, um, and again, there's there's psychosocial folks out there, and there's people in the hospital as well. But it's still hard. It, you know, it's still very. It's probably one of the most difficult things all of us will have to face. Which is why we need to have the conversation and and get that and ask those questions that need to be asked. And we will do that with our continuing series over the next little while. Thank you both for coming in today. It's great Thanks. to have you with us. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, Claire Freeman and Armila Kajani uh, from uh, the Bob Kemp Hospice. 
The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.